Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. God, I pray for Bill as he speaks the truth to us today, and I just pray you'd prepare our hearts and um, that you would, um, yeah, just encourage his voice, that he um, hears you, and uh, we hear you together, and um, yeah, you just ask us, you ask us for our best, and you bless us, God, and you call us forward, and you love us, and everything you ask of us is because you love us. We just, um, yeah, so be with Bill as he shares from his heart. Amen. Thank you. So, I seem to get myself in situations a lot where I teach something on Sunday that might upset someone. And I think it's probably going to happen today. And so, <laughs> I do not, I just want to go ahead and say, up front, a few things. Um, we gave you those texts on purpose, Bill. Yeah, yeah, I, I volunteered for this, it's my own fault. Um, I guess I would want to say, first of all, I don't present this as the definitive word that no one can challenge or interact with or question. I don't present it as the definitive position of this church and I don't want anyone to feel like to be a part of this church or to be friends with me or anything like that. We have to agree. And I don't want anyone to feel that I'm looking down on them because I am guilty of a lot of sin and so I do not have any moral high ground to stand on and look down on you. And I want to make that clear. That whatever you hear me saying, I hope you won't hear me saying that. And I do, at the same time, want people to feel challenged at least to consider, if something I'm saying feels like it's calling you into question in some way, to consider uh, what, and, and to go to God in prayer and ask, Lord, is there something you're saying to me about this that I don't see yet? Is there anything to what that joker up front said today? And don't take my word for it. Go to God in prayer. If you go to God in prayer honestly and you come away feeling like you have a clear conscience, I have nothing further to say to you, but I do hope that what I say will challenge you to at least go to God in prayer if that's the thing to do. Okay? So we shall read. Uh, and if anyone wants a Bible, they're over, I can hand you one. You can raise your hand. Or if you brought one, you can take it out. The words will be on the projector as well. No one wants a Bible? Okay. Cool. Okay, Matthew 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he cured them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, they asked. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? He said to them, it was because of your heart, you uh, were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for unchastity and marries another, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can accept this teaching, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So that's what it says. I didn't write the book. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus is tested with a question about divorce. And in his day, it was taken for granted that uh, a man could divorce his wife if he had some reason he wanted to do that. And it is worth saying Marriage uh, worked differently in that time, and so if you notice that it's only talking about men making marriage decisions, this is because women didn't really have any influence over their marital status at all. Um, marriages were arranged, so people did not get married because they liked each other. They got married to form families from uh, other families, and so just like you didn't pick your children, parents, siblings, you also didn't pick your spouse. Uh, and men did have the right to divorce their wives. Wives did not have the right to divorce their husbands. So it's only talking about how men are treating their wives and not how wives are making decisions about marriage as well. A bit different than what we're familiar with. And so the certificate of divorce is um, if a man does send his wife away, uh, the certificate of divorce shows that she has the legal right to marry someone else. And this is important because women did not really have a way to provide for themselves. And so if you didn't have some male family member, you were in a really rough place. And so the importance of the divorce certificate is to say, this person is freed from that, that bond and can go and marry another. And so they're asking him about this and Jesus appeals to Genesis when uh, Adam and Eve are created and God made them male and female and uh, the two become one flesh. And so he says, uh, what I understand him to be saying fundamentally is that marriage is uh, a God thing, if I can say that. Uh, in other words, this is a bond that God has established as part of how humanity is. It is not just a social norm. It is not something that people do because they think it's a good idea. It may be those things, but fundamentally it's a sort of a uh, um, joining of two people together by God, and for that reason, it shouldn't be taken lightly. And he says that what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is a sacred thing. It is not a good thing that it be, um, that people who God has joined together be separated. So the Pharisees, in response, appeal to Deuteronomy, where it says the one sort of command of the Torah about divorce, and it's really... What it's saying fundamentally is if someone divorces his wife and she marries someone else and then that marriage ends, the first guy can't marry her again. That's what the command says and that's the only divorce-related command really in the entire Torah. 
And so they're saying, why did Moses command us to divorce her? And what it seems to me that Jesus is saying, that Moses is saying, is not so much, no, this is my endorsement of this thing. Certainly it's not Moses saying, you must divorce, which seems to be what the Pharisees are, are saying it is in certain situations. Rather, it's saying, if you're going to do this, this is a constraint that I'm putting on it. And so the idea would be that doesn't mean this is an ideal. This doesn't mean this is desirable. This is a, okay, you're going to get some divorces. This is a rule that I'm placing on this. And so Jesus says, but the ideal, God's way that he wants things done, is that you get married and that's a bond that remains. So the disciples reply that it's better in that case not to marry. In other words, better to not be married than to be married to someone you don't want to be. What's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't actually disagree with that. He doesn't say, no, no, no. God has the perfect partner out there for you, and you find that person, then you'll live happily ever after, and it'll be so perfect. Nothing like that. I don't think you'll find that anywhere in the Bible. Um, and he doesn't say if you get married, you can be like a husband-wife team that serves God better than you would as individuals. Uh, Christians talk like that a lot. The Bible doesn't at all. Jesus says nothing to suggest that being married is preferable to being single. And of course, Jesus, as far as we know, wasn't married, so maybe that shouldn't surprise us, but the way that I hear people talk a lot, it's taken for granted that the ideal is that you get married. So he doesn't defend the idea that it's better to be married than to be single. He does defend the idea that marriage is a God thing, that it's a holy sacred, good thing for people to participate in, but not necessarily that it's better. And to me, Jesus here sounds a lot like uh, Paul does in 1 Corinthians. I hear the same kind of thing, where he says, uh, basically, if you can bear it, if you can remain single and celibate, that is better uh, than going and being married, because you can focus your energy on serving God, but not everyone can bear that. It's, he says it's better to marry than to burn with desire. And so, if you don't feel like you can live single and celibate, marriage is another option, and it's a good, holy option for some people. And so, I hear Paul and Jesus taking roughly the same stance on these things. And this is over against a cultural context where divorce is taken for granted and where celibacy is highly unusual. So that's our data. And the question of interest is going to be, how should this bear on us as Jesus people today, as Basilea, as Christians? And this is where I don't know how people are going to feel about what I have to say. Um, <laughs> number one, uh, I am going to be real with you. I do not. See, I see both Jesus and Paul talking about marriage in such a way that there's basically two options. There's singleness and celibacy on the one hand, and then there's marriage on the other. There is no hint, and in fact, most of what they both say makes no sense if there's another option, either to be single and satisfy your sex drive by hooking up with people, by using pornography, by 
dating and having sex but not marrying, or even by living together and not marrying and having a sex life there, this is not an option we're presented with, and I don't see a compelling reason that shouldn't be our standard as Jesus followers today. These were standards that challenged what was normal then. They are standards that make no mistake, we all know, challenge what is normal uh, in our culture today. And frankly, following Jesus is going to be countercultural. And for us, I think this is one of the major ways it would be countercultural. So um, I know there's folks in our community who do have sex with folks and aren't married. I want to challenge you to go to God with that and say, do you have something to say to me about this today, if that's you? And again, I, I do not judge. I have done this. I lived with a girl and had sex with her and stuff um, at one point in my life. I get it. Um, Jesus says you're guilty of adultery if you look at a person with lust in your heart, and I'm guilty of that many times over. So I'm not trying to look down on anyone. I do want to challenge you to see if the Lord has something to say to you. And then uh, talking about divorce in particular, again, with both of these issues, it's very tempting to want to fix it so that everyone can feel good because I don't like making people feel bad. Um, Jesus doesn't seem super soft on this. And he's talking to people who take it for granted that divorce is a viable option. And he's saying, for someone who wants to please God, this is not a viable option. Except, he says, uh, yes, when there's uh, infidelity. And then Paul talks about if someone is married and becomes a follower of Jesus and their spouse doesn't want to be married to a follower of Jesus. Okay, justifiable there. Um, we believe at Basileia that the Holy Spirit guides our interpretation of Scripture, that the Holy Spirit is particular. We don't just want to set up another set of legal requirements for people to follow. And so I don't want to be too stiff um, and say, you know, I don't know what God is saying to you. I don't know your whole story. I don't want anyone to feel less welcome or judged based on their history or whatever. Um... I can't get over that Jesus is pretty, pretty firm on that. And so I think that, again, um, that may mean that there's something to take before him and ask about. What exactly that means for you, I don't presume to know. What I do feel like I can say pretty confidently is that I think it would be a real mistake if we treated marriage and divorce the way that our culture treats marriage and divorce, which is very, very lightly, that we take it for granted, that it's normal, uh, that this is something that happens, that this is part of, if someone's unhappy, God wouldn't want you to be unhappy, so of course this is the right thing. I'm not saying there's never a situation where it might be the right thing, but I really am convicted that this should not be normal to us. I think that marriage and Entering into marriage and the possibility of ending a marriage should be something that's treated with a great deal of fear and trembling because it's holy, because it's sacred, because it's something that God cares about. So, if we're going to be a people who treat marriage with great fear and trembling, 
we want to, I, ha I guess I have a few things. This isn't necessarily going to fix all the problems, and there's all kinds of things we could talk about in particular cases. These are my two cents on how we can be a people who um, treat marriage well, in my opinion. Not an exhaustive list, but this is what I'll say today. Uh, number one, based on what we've read, I don't think we should treat marriage as a given. In a lot of Christian circles, it's taken for granted that God's intention for you ideally is for you to get married. If you're single and over a certain age, something has gone wrong or whatever. Um, I, I don't see that in the Bible at all. It is very clear that uh, singleness is a viable option, and so singleness should not be seen as marginal. We shouldn't assume that everyone's supposed to get married. And we shouldn't see that as in any way lesser. Second, uh, we shouldn't have unrealistic expectations for our marriage or our spouse. Uh, and what I see there is, number one, uh, when people do get married, usually initially there's some uh, cocooning going on where they hang out mostly with each other. For a little while, that makes sense. Um, but sometimes marriage can produce greater isolation, and it's like two people have to kind of bear the entire burden of one another. And for a significant period of time, I think that's unhealthy. I think that we need to remain in community. We need to have um, important life-giving relationships with a number of other people who are in our business and we're in their business and so on. Uh, I think that's important because one person is not meant to be your whole social circle and your whole support system and all that. And uh, we need to be honest, um, marriage doesn't fix all your problems. I'm not sure it fixes any of them. Uh, I'm not, I'm honest, ask around. Uh, I, I like my wife very much, but uh, if you're lonely as a single person and you don't address it some other way, getting married, you'll still feel lonely. If you feel unfulfilled as a single person and you don't address that some other way, you will still feel unfulfilled as a married person. Ask around if you don't believe me. Uh, if you're addicted to porn and you get married, you're probably going to be addicted to porn after the marriage if you don't do something else to address that. Don't expect that marriage will change your life. It will change certain things about your life, but it needs to be God where we find our satisfaction and, and our, um, yeah, you can't, you, you can't expect getting married to be like, oh, my problems are solved. That's absolutely not how it works. So we need to have a real, realistic view about what this is going to be. Third, I don't think we should enter into marriage lightly which means um, discerning those decisions in community, I think, having people in your business who can say, eh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Um, and that you talk to and so forth. I think that is a really good idea. I think that also extends to uh, premarital counseling and stuff like that. All a good idea. Uh, it should be a group effort because it is a big deal. Fourth, um, I think it is important that divorce, well, let me put it this way, because uh, I know some people won't agree with me. When I uh, got engaged to my lovely wife, uh, I asked a bunch of people for marriage advice. Most of what I got was garbage. Um, <laughs> and the piece of information I appreciated the most was someone said, what you need to do is 
decide very firmly between the two of you up front that divorce is not an option on the table for you. Because as soon as it is an option on the table for you, you have an alternative to making this thing work. I can imagine a scenario where someone says that's not good advice. Um, I only know my experience, and uh, I think this has been... I don't think that Danae and I would still be married if we didn't decide up front that this must be something we make work, that there is no other alternative. Um, and, and she thinks the same thing. This is not controversial. Um, <laughs> your marriage may not be like that, but ours has been kind of rough at times, and, and we love each other, and I don't want it to sound like I'm saying anything different. But if we had not determined very firmly up front, this must work. We will work this out. There is no other alternative. We are handcuffed together for good. Uh, I don't think it would, I don't think we'd still be together. So I commend that to you to think about. Uh, two more points, and one is that I think we should emphasize marriages rather than weddings. If you've, yeah, okay. <laughs> if you've ever gotten engaged, you know that all anyone wants to talk about from the moment you tell people onward is the wedding. That's all anyone wants to talk about is the party that you're throwing in a little while. And I'm all for the party. I like weddings. They're a great deal of fun. Uh, but it's like one day and then it's over, right? Uh, the life that you live together is what matters, not the wedding itself. So I think it's very unfortunate that between when you get engaged and when you get married, typically your life basically ends up revolving around a party that you're throwing this one day. And so I recently decided when I hear about a new engagement, I'm not going to ask anything about the wedding. I'm going to ask about how you're preparing for life together. So I want to invite you to join me on that if you see fit. <laughs> Don't ask what, what's the date is the first question. If you've gotten engaged, you know that is everyone's first question. When, when are you getting married? When? when? What do I need to wear? What color? Uh, where are you? Do I have to fly somewhere? Do I need to book a plane ticket? Do I need to... Whatever. I'm going to ask, do you have plans for counseling yet? <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, I think that would be a great thing if that was our practice. Because a lot of times counseling is the last thing people think about. Okay, finally, we need to pray for each other. Whether we're single, whether we're married, uh, whether we're single and want to be married or single and planning to stay that way, uh, to do singleness well, to do marriage well, we need the grace of God. That's probably obvious, but let's go ahead and say it anyway. We need to be a community that prays for each other on these matters. And so that's what we're going to do. So um, if someone, if one of our worship team folks would play some notes for us, that'd be awesome. And um, I think we're just going to sit with this a little bit. I do want to say, I meant to say earlier, if God requires something of us, he has something better for us. He's not just making us do hard stuff or give up stuff or whatever uh, just because he wants to. God's stuff for us is better. And so I think that insofar as we can, we should uh, appro approach these sorts of things. If God is calling us to repent uh, in some way, 
it's because he has something better for us to receive in place. Um, it's a sweet thing. So uh, there's going to be a few folks uh, kind of over in this region uh, who can pray for people if you want. You may have someone that you want to go to in prayer uh, that you trust or that you like or whatever, or someone sitting next to you. Um, you may just want to sit and kind of think about this, or you may decide to sit and think about how wrong I am. And um, yeah, if there's, if there's some way in which prayer is prompted by what I've said today, uh, then go ahead and pray with someone. If not, cool. And um, I love you. I hope that you're not too mad at me. Um, God bless you guys. And uh, let's just, yeah, sit. You may have questions to ask the Lord right now. Uh, you may have prayers you want to pray. You may just want to relax and hang out. Um, so we'll just take a little bit of time and do all of that as appropriate, okay?